And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 63 of PNR, This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, January 26th, 2015. So are you feeling a little deflated? Are you feeling like there's been a lot of talk about pressure and hot air and cheating? And God, won't they just leave the guy alone? And of course, I'm talking about the President's State of the Union address last week. Why, did you think I was talking about something else? Oh, you mean that other thing. Well, of course, there will be an actual game played this weekend, and it's the Super Bowl, and it does feature, yes, a lot of overinflated hot air and pressure-filled moments. And yeah, fans for both teams are going to be hoping that, God, won't they just leave their guy alone? What are Joe and I looking forward to? The commercials, of course. And if you are, too, at halftime of the big game, take a moment and leave us a review on iTunes, won't you? Compare us to your favorite Super Bowl commercial. Are we as good as the crowdsourced Dorito spot? Or did we push the envelope like a GoDaddy commercial? Or are we just those new kids like Wicks and Mophie who tried hard but just didn't quite get there? Just go to iTunes, make us cry, make us laugh, but most of all, be your awesome self and help us be your halftime entertainment. All right, let's get this week's awesome little show underway. And of course, I'm happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the guy with the most perfectly inflated balls in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend, Joe? You can't do do that. What this do you is mean? A, of course I can. This is a this did, is did a hear, rated. Did you see Tom Raiders? Now I have to set the idea. Where's your mind? I'm talking about football, <laughs> right? I'm talking about all kinds of balls that you play with. Now right? we have you to know? change the iTunes <laughs> setting. This is not safe for work. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. So are you recuperated from Hawaii now? I am definitely recuperated and uh you know, it was it was hard to leave, but it was it was such a great week. We had we had such a good time. Oh man. It's yeah, so we're yeah, I've got a I've got a little vacation coming up in a couple of weeks I'm looking forward to, but right now I'm just drinking my I, you know, I, I don't know if I've told you, I've gotten on a little bit of a health kick lately. I've I'm You have. Oh my goodness. I am eating the last three weeks, I've like this this whole body cleanse thing going on here, and I, I've been eating fantastic. No, no, not that. Not in a bad way. <laughs> eating incredibly well. I've worked out every day for the past uh, almost three weeks now, and I'm feeling great and uh, you know, kind of a New Year's resolution thing, and it's starting to stick. So well, I'm actually drinking V8 you. right now, which is I, – Oh, V8. I oh, that's the low sodium very tasty. V8. Yeah, it's yeah, it's tasty. I love VA it's, juice. It's, uh, oh, I love it on airplanes, especially. I love a little VA juice on an airplane, uh, especially in the morning. It's great, great way to start the morning. There's nothing better. I mean, I can't believe yeah. we're talking about uh, V8 on uh, this old marketing. But hey, what, <laughs> what whatever <laughs> V8. Man. Oh God, yeah. So, the way to start your content marketing, exactly. So we, do we have good? Uh, do we have good news this week, or what do we? We have? do have some really interesting stuff, and the first article that comes to us, courtesy of uh, our friends at TheVerge.com, uh, does have to do with, of course, this upcoming game that's going to get played this weekend, and it's uh, basically the headline is YouTube sponsoring its own halftime show. I. I love this. Um, Basically, the way the article starts out, it says, you know, when it comes to the Super Bowl this year, YouTube is going to bet that football fans would rather watch a guy dive into a pool of cheese than suffer through, basically, Katy Perry singing through the halftime show. Um, So what YouTube is going to do this year is they're going to offer an alternative to the traditional halftime show at the Super Bowl. And they're going to have 20 of their homegrown creators and musicians, along with a bunch of other people doing fake Super Bowl ads and all sorts of stunts and all sorts of stuff, and create their own halftime show. I mean, I think this is, this is, the, this is the beginning of the future right here. I mean, what did you think about this? You know, it's inter- well, first of all, I, it's got to be— I mean, I guess alternative programming has been around for a while, but this is the first time it's actually, I think, been on something like a Yeah, YouTube. I mean, it's got to be better than, like, Puppy Bowl, right? I mean, this is— <laughs> So I'm going to—I get Katy Perry, Puppy Bowl, or I get to see some guy right. jump into some nacho cheese. I forgot about Puppy Bowl. I forgot all about hey, that. Hey, man, oh, I look puppy forward bowl. to Puppy yeah. Bowl. No, I actually don't. I've never watched it. But, uh, you know, the first—when I read this, the first thing I thought of was this— this is really smart for YouTube because they need to keep these content creators on their side. Happy. 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 Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's interesting. I talked with a couple people this week that are YouTubers and they were talking to me about 
Now, they didn't say that YouTube was shaking. I mean, I don't think Google or YouTube shakes in their boots at all. But there is a huge fight over these content creators right now. And I didn't even know this. Maybe you heard about this. But I guess Hulu is coming out with this premium platform at some point soon. And Hulu is starting to go after these YouTube content creators and saying, hey, you you can stay on YouTube, but can we have some some of your content three or release your content three days before on our platform and we're going to use it as premium content and they're giving them like extra stuff for that so they're trying to take these youtube content creators away and then of course you and i talked about the whole twitter thing which i think is going to actually be a thing then you know in a year from now when we're talking about video so i think that they're saying look how can we help are, I mean, this is and this is something that YouTube can do. They can actually give their content creators kind of that leg up and say, you know, we're going to help you. We're going to promote you. We're going to help you get more exposure and do other things like that. So from that, that's the you know nothing to do with the fact that yeah, I think it's going to cool, kind of cool, and I'll probably watch it. Although I do love Katy Perry. I have to I have to say that she's great in concert. Well, yeah. oh, she's fantastic. No, she's yeah, she's she's, she's really she's good. really good. <laughs> so, but if it's between Katy Perry and somebody jumping into right. some nacho cheese, I mean, that's a pretty easy. Come I mean, on. I mean, there's no, there's no decision there, like, right? I mean, it's the nacho cheese all the way. <laughs> so I don't know. I I, agree I, that's with you. what I took from it. I don't know what you I, took. Well, I, I, I think – so one, I, I have heard a little bit about this. But, you know, I think um, – look, I think what Google has right now that Hulu doesn't have even a fraction of is the potential for audience, right? I mean, and so if you're a YouTuber – how it has, you know, and we talked about this, you know, sort of the algorithm changes and what's going on on YouTube is similar to what's going on on Facebook. And, you know, there's, there's the competition is getting thick, rising above the noise is hard, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't go just for YouTubers. It goes for, you know, because guess what? Brands that are trying to get their content marketing distributed across YouTube, it's a similar challenge, right? I mean, you're competing with the girl who eats Fruit Loops out of the bathroom and the guy who dives into a bucket full of cheese and all of that kind of stuff. So you're you're competing with your wonderful way that you do welding equipment, you know, against that. And trying to get an audience or attention for that is 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 just as challenging. So I think ultimately they Google has to pay attention because they've got to keep those personalities on YouTube to keep people coming mm-hmm. back to YouTube so that the brands themselves actually have a reason to put their content up on YouTube and not go to Vimeo or some other alternative way of distributing video because nobody's using YouTube for the community. They're using it simply because it's a free way to distribute and stream video. I mean, that's let's be honest, right? And so the real question in my mind is if they can – Start, you know, basically, can a competitor to YouTube th- real, like a Hulu, you know, emerge that makes it worth the while of me as a marketer to actually not use YouTube anymore? Because I kind of don't care about YouTube if I know that it's really easy for my audience to go find my stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the real – I think that's the real question for me. The YouTubers making a career out of this, you know, making a couple of hundred thousand dollars by, you know, doing weird stuff and having a show, that's all – you know, that's like a little industry all of it yes. in its own. And, and, and I think to me the interesting thing here is taking eyeballs away from the ads that will actually appear during the halftime show of the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's it's a different model for marketers, right? You're going to use YouTube. Um, you're probably not going to use Vimeo. You might use now on the B2B side. You might use SlideShare now that they're integrating video. Uh, I mean, you're yeah. looking for I hey, I want my I want to own the asset. I'm going to keep that on my site, and I'm going to distribute it on all these other platforms. And even you know, even you know, we're working on this documentary, and we're looking at you know where are we going to distribute that? I mean, we're looking at in Netflix. What do we do on YouTube? Uh, we work with Brightcove. You know, all those different things to make sure we're distributing it out to get that into the right hands. But lo, you know, at the end of the day, we want to own that asset and to get as many people back to our site as possible. The, the thing that I'm thinking, I mean, so that's one thing you're right. Then you've got all these people that are, these content creators are disappointed. In the fact that there's a 55, 45 split when, you know, iTunes is only, you know, 70, 30 YouTube's right. taken a lot. So there's a there's a lot of companies that can come in and say, hey, you know, we're going to give you a little extra money, and I'm sure Hulu's part of that. But the the weird thing to me is, and I don't even think I don't know. See if this holds holds water here. It, look at remember, okay, you had CBS, NBC, and ABC, right? They were the the yeah. big three yeah. networks. 
Sure. In this case, in this example, there's really not a lot of difference from, you know, the YouTube, Twitter, Hulu, where they're fighting for talent. I mean, remember back in the day when somebody would announce, oh, they're moving their show from ABC to NBC or this star is moving from this channel to that or that network to that one network? It seems like we're just it's just happening all over again. And I, you know, and I, when I worked at, the, I talked to Pamela Muldoon, who's our podcast network producer, and she was talking about the fact that looking at the way podcasts are starting to take, you know, a form all their own, she says it looks just like radio. I mean, look at all these networks. They're basically, they're looking at, okay, here's our different slots. Here's where we need content. We're going to go get talent. We're going to fill it in. And I think that's just interesting. And I guess my my question to you is, as I'm rambling about this whole thing, is there a a play in here for marketers that aren't looking to necessarily make money to look at it more like, you know, do we go and and we're looking at an audience, do we go and find talent and fill and slot them in? Yeah, that's the key. That's that's the key. So what I was going to say to 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 the first part of what you were talking about is, so look in the article they even talk about this, right? Which is, you know, the this notion of, you know, sitting adjacent to a piece of content, right? So your brand sitting adjacent to a piece of content, which is ostensibly really what we're talking about here. And in this case, it's YouTube. But there's no reason that another brand... So we talked last week on the show about uh, the... It was my rave last week about Newcastle Brown Ale doing that the sort partner, of crowdsourced yes. Super Bowl ad, yes. right? There's no reason that Newcastle couldn't have done this exact same thing and, by the way, used YouTube to distribute it, right? They could have promoted their own alternative programming on YouTube where they had the guy jumping into a ball of cheese and all of the rest, you know, the great talent. So in other words, it, Google's, Google's challenge here is not necessarily in the fact that they provide the infrastructure. It's that they need to have the relationship with the artists because, quite frankly, that's democratized. Any brand could create that relationship with that with that audience. That and that audience in this case are these YouTube content creator talent, and create their own programming around that. The distribution me- mechanism these days is kind of irrelevant. Yeah, other right. than the fact <clears throat> that it other than the fact that it has an it has a built in audience, right? So, in other words, going and doing this on you know XYZ dot com that happens to be a streaming media platform probably not a good idea. But there's nothing stopping any brand from doing this in a big way, e.g. alternative programming to the Super Bowl, or even in a small way, alternative programming to, you know, somebody could come up with a really cool idea to do alternative programming to the State of the Union address or alternative programming to, you know, um, and basically market them, use content in a way that sits adjacent to an existing content brand, pulling in talent, and just using whatever distribution channels they want to. It could be their own website, you know. So that's the real. Well, that's key here, the beauty. The content and the talent, you're right. That's right? the beauty the of the halftime be- show because there's a huge audience out there that's that's primed to engage in something during that time. They're that's they're right. ready. They're that, exactly they got thirty minutes. Exactly. They're, they're gonna watch something, and so so what's the prediction? The prediction is next year at this time you're gonna see twelve to fifteen of these things happen. Right. That's right. That's exactly. That's right. So this is just gonna be, and they're gonna be on Netflix and YouTube and Yahoo and Red Bull Channel and all over the place. Yep. Exactly. And you right. heard it here first. And the winner, and the winner is, and the winner is whoever makes it easiest for you to go engage. While you're still sitting on the couch, you have your device in front of you, whether it's your iPad or your laptop or your phone or whatever it is, and the winner is going to be whoever makes it easiest for you to switch. Boy, could you see that? Just just think of the sponsored Facebook posts and the sponsored tweets, and they're checking on the hashtags and saying, hey, don't remember, halftime show, click over here. Do the-. I mean, it's going to get right. crazy next year. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be. It's. I think it's going to get crazy this year too. I think it's going to be really interesting to see this year. I think there will be something surprising that comes out that that we just don't know yet. Are you planning on something? Are you? Um, no. is, there, <laughs> is there is there a big release or something? That's. It sounds no. like. Oh, there's not. I, my interest. No, there is nothing. My interest is no. My interest no. is peaked. I, I think there's something happening here. <laughs> I will. I will be making sure that all the balls I'm with are having, you know, the right pressure in them. Is what I'll be doing on Sunday. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. 
Our next article comes to us courtesy of Moz, M-O-Z, Moz.com, and also courtesy of Chad Pollitt, who has written, uh, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, here is a wonderful article that, that, I mean, it just goes into a lot of depth. The headline here is everything you need to know about sponsored content. It's pretty um, close to that, actually. Chad goes through. He does, he does a great job. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty, it is pretty close to that. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff here. He goes through an entire history, really, of sponsored native advertising content, as limited as that history might be. He goes and infuses stats from all sorts of different uh, research that has been done on this and links to it all. He shows some examples of it. I mean, he gets really into the nitty-gritty of all of these different things that has made up sort of the last few years of sponsored native content and the strategies behind that. It all leads up to his, uh, you know, I guess this is his money shot, really, which is for him a pretty simple yet sort of, you know, out there algorithm to help marketers determine how much an advertiser should pay for sponsoring an article. And he goes through sort of audience size and all that. I won't do all the math here. Um, And frankly, I'm still kind of digging through it myself. But it it struck me that this was just a really well thought out idea, whether, you know, what did you think about this as a a sort of way to to approach sponsored content and ascertaining how much we should be paying for it? Well, so I've got two takes on it. I will answer your question, but the first thing I, I thought was interesting that I hadn't seen in other articles, and, and it, it does make sense, where he talks about sponsored content today, or native advertising as it is today, really a uh, top funnel activity versus the advertorial of yesterday, which was more your mid to bottom funnel activity. Uh, which which that was interesting you oh, don't you don't hear that most everybody says yep. oh the advertorial you know today's native advertising is just advertorial it's nothing different but he says no it is right. different and this is why because today's is very top of the phone very problem solving very educational very helpful and sometimes entertaining so that i thought was really interesting right. now back to your question about the budget um that my thing on it you know we talked about it before the show the challenge with that is you can do all the math you want to. It depends on who the audience is. Every audience is absolutely different, has different values to it. Even if you look at the value of a lead to your own organization, who it is, is, is more valuable or not yep. depending on that. And so if, and, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that the algorithm that he puts together takes into account who the audience would be. Correct. It can't do it that. It's almost it impossible. And there's no way it can, right? The density, it, it, you can't do it without knowing the density. This is, I mean, coming from my, you know, way back when I was in television, um, we used, you know, and cable TV specifically, we used to talk about this, right? We used to, you know, this is the thing that we would highlight, right? I, you know, as a, on a cable network, if I'm the head of marketing and, and ad sales for a cable network, I would say, yeah, ABC has 10x more ratings points than we do. But we have 10 times the number of women, 25 to 34, that they do. And so the density of a target audience from an advertising point of view is a hugely important thing that you can't take into account in, a, mm-hmm. in an algorithm like this. And then you get into the, the, the question of the value of the content itself, right? Because this isn't just a banner ad or it's not just a small ad unit. It gets into what is the engagement level of a video versus an infographic versus a blog post, et cetera, et cetera. And there's just no way to exactly. algorithm. Well, I mean, actually, let's use, our, let's use this old marketing as an example. So we're going we're gonna to talk in a little bit. Acrolinks is, again, our sponsor today. We're going to talk at sp- yep. sponsor piece of content that they purchased on our platform. And we get a certain rate for that. And we get, I mean, we're, we're a fairly popular marketing podcast, but we're not, you know, one of the top, you know, hundred podcasts and you know, that, that are getting millions and millions of downloads every week. We're not up to that level, but we don't have to be because we're targeting a very different, mostly, uh, you know, business customer, mostly content marketer, marketer, marketing title of some kind. And we can charge a different rate exactly. than somebody that's just, you know, they're working to get Squarespace ads and audible.com and all those other <laughs> advertisements that you have to have <laughs> right. that goes on a CPM yeah. basis and they need to charge a lot of money or um, get a lot of eyeballs to charge even a little money for. Sure. So that, yep. I mean, that, I guess that's my thing with it. I mean, on the, I, I, I but look, as a data point, I, you know, here's what I would, I, I'll just say officially because I know Chad listens I to Chad. the show 
and and you know the i would say this the work here is tremendous just a tremendous amount it's of just the wonderful as as one data point in an overall strategy about where i should put my money in terms of native or how i should think about a particular publisher in terms of value as one data point in a more thorough strategy of research love this love this and the and by the way Everything leading up to this, I mean, there's, it's, it, it, it quite frankly is everything yeah. you need to know. About well, this I mean, way, about and he's, and it, it's a great, it's a post. great, actually, it's a great lead gen that he's doing. I mean, he's got a, he's got a, uh, a full right. guide yes. to it. And I would say if anybody, <laughs> let's call it spade a spade hey. here, it actually is promoting, he's promoting a piece, a piece of content. Of content. So. You know, he's doing yeah. it exactly the way <laughs> right. you're supposed to do it. And he exactly. gives, I mean, this is a 2000 plus word article on Moz. That he's yeah. putting out there, he put a lot of work into it, and it promotes yes to a free you know to a free download that you have to sign up for that he's I'm sure using yeah. as a lead gen, and well worth yeah. it. I would say anybody that's interested in good, I signed up. Anybody for it. that wants to get in into native advertising of some kind should should download it. I mean it's it's that yeah. it's that easy to look at. So I guess the last thing that I would say is for marketers listening to this. The, the one thing that I'm, I get a little bit of nervous about, he doesn't cover it too much, but um, I actually saw Marcus Sheridan post today, which was he was ranting about uh, social media and what how you measure social media and KPIs. And he was just like, I can't believe it has to be on, you know, you got to measure it on real behavior, not likes. And, you know, we've that we've talked about on this show before. Sure. So sure, I guess sure, anybody sure. getting into this and, and negotiating rates for native advertising deals, I would just say make sure the call to action is actually what's what Chad's doing. Get 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 a yeah. name. Get a, build your audience. Build exactly. You should be using native advertising to build your audience. And and if you, I don't know if there's an, another. I wouldn't spend money on it unless that's my goal. Is there a, is right. there another goal? I mean, are you? Is there? Am I missing something on this? Well, I, you know, look, I, I don't think you are, but I, I think, you know, what I would say is the, you know, have a goal, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Start yes, there. That's very you know, true. Have one. Um, and then ultimately, I, you know, look, can you think of another goal for native advertising that isn't just building audience? I, I'm assuredly right. Well, I mean, we I don't want to say that we have the monopoly on thinking about what goals should be for native advertising. But if if you can't think of one, <laughs> building an audience is a great one. Well, you can't do it. So, yeah, you can't just do it on number of mentions, right? Social shares, uh, views. I mean, those are your. You know, we we t- we talk about it all the time. Those are user indicators. You talk about exactly. it in the book. Exactly. Uh, it, it only gets you so far. User indicators need to lead to something more tangible, and yeah. uh, and what's better than a subscription program? So exactly right. Exactly right. All right. Our next news item comes to us. Courtesy of marketingland.com. And the headline here is LinkedIn is launching a new company tools to unify workplace. Didn't we? I did deja vu all over again here. I think I had to read. Did we not? Did did this? No, it was Facebook, actually, (laughs) where we were stupefied um, of the shenanigans going on at Facebook trying to launch something that would be in the workplace. And here we have, you know, a week later, LinkedIn. the article goes and talks about how it's been under a lot of changes lately. New homepage, improved search, better analytics. And as they say, next up is a collaborative product that is going to be designed to connect colleagues uh, uh, together. And so one, the first feature, for example, is allowing users in organizations that, you know, um, that they're similar with can send in-mail, which is the LinkedIn's inside email or messaging uh, service, to anybody within their company, right? So, you won't, so if you don't know the person or aren't connected to the person, you, the fact that you have a, you know, you're in the same company will allow you to message that person uh, directly, whether you're connected to them or not. And I think that's a, you know, look, where I was completely baffled with the Facebook thing before, I'm not baffled at all about this. I, I get this, right? I understand why LinkedIn would want to do this, and I understand the value here. It, it just, this totally makes sense to me. Did, is this, did a, is, this an adi- same? is this an additional cost, or these are just additional uh I- I don't know and don't – so here's the thing. I don't know and don't care, right? I mean this to me is something they have to do to maintain their legitimacy within the workplace. 
and whether or not they ultimately launch something that's an enterprise type of tool where they're going to charge separately for it or offer premium level features that aren't available, I get it, right? I get why LinkedIn would do this because it's more data coming from inside the enterprise. My my objection to Facebook about the whole firewall thing and, and, you know, this to me feels better. You know, I still don't understand it as an internal intranet tool, and I don't think that they're they're talking about that. But they're actually talking about, I think, networking and and messaging within the LinkedIn conceit. You know, which is of course this professional level. I could see, I could see this. I could see them this connecting to the relevance of you know they have that whole algorithm about your relevance in search and all that kind of stuff and the more participatory you are within you could earn badges that go on your resume and i, I mean i just i get it i get it here in linkedin where i didn't get it on facebook I, you know it's interesting I, I was reading the comments of this and the one person says i can't make heads or tails out of my intranet so this is awesome so i can actually right. you know i exactly. can actually find somebody in my company to talk with because my current inter- intranet's not doing anything for me so i thought that was Even interesting it, it's fascinating right i mean it's it, you know it, it it it's still a case today where i'll go in and do uh, an advisory engagement with a very large global organization where people are meeting each other for the first time in the meeting that I'm in. And, and I mean, that, I mean, you know, it's been a long time since I've worked in a really big company, but I mean, that's, that's fascinating to me that there are a lot of people in the marketing group. Let's like, we're not even talking about cross-functional things here. We're talking about within marketing people, you know, and it's because we live in such a disparate, you know, workspace, you know, working from home, all that sort of, uh, the you know the future of work stuff is 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 really creating a a much more uh, uh, disconnected workspace and and I think a lot of these people are they don't know they don't get to see each other's face and they, and even if it's just connecting at that level it might be a really great thing you know it's interesting it says no chat service has been leaked just a more robust repository of coworker information it, it seems likely that LinkedIn would purchase a Yammer type product. Yes. integrate it seems almost like a no-brainer to them that they would have to because they're they want to be the platform for business marketers that's right, so that's business, right. Hey, you're going to learn you're going to learn on linkedin you're going to you're going to communicate you're going to communicate on linkedin you don't even have to use email anymore because you can I, use in mail oh and th- i mean th- i mean and not to get too like you know evil villain up in a layer with a white cat on his lap but, <laughs> you know the but think about this think about their acquisition of bizzo Think about that combined with the information that they already know that people have an absolute incentive to keep accurate. And then think about that in context with this community, you know, so connecting with your colleagues within the business. In other words, if I get so offering up a retargeting service where I'm trying to target you, Joe Polizzi, and I get you to come fill out something on my website, but now through looking at sort of the analytics and data, I can see that you're directly connected to me in the same organization and I have, but maybe I'm the decision maker for the thing that you were looking at. Well, now all of a sudden you've got something special for B2B marketers. It's It's so, it's so interesting what's happening. It's almost like we need to slow down a second and just look at, I mean, what what was it? A couple episodes ago, we talked, there was this article about social media is over as we knew it. uh, And we talked about that for a little bit, but if you, yeah, yeah, but if you look at, uh, the, what Facebook is trying to do and what LinkedIn is trying to do, it's not, this is not social media. This is just a new way to communicate, and they're building platforms around communication behavior. It's just did fascinating. You see the, did you see the whole? Uh, the, and we didn't. We're not going to talk about this on the show, but it was an article that I was just fascinated with. Um, the Eric Schmidt article on basically saying the end of the internet. I saw. I and, didn't read it. So it, give me the it, overview on it. it. Basically, the headline is we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but, but maybe we'll put it in the show notes, a link to the show notes. It was fascinating. Basically, and he didn't go into a lot of detail, but basically he said in the coming years, and he didn't really put a specific prediction on it. I think he might have said in the next five years by 2020 or something, we're not even going to think of the Internet as something separate. We're not, you know, or the web as something. It, it basically, it's going to be so enmeshed in everything we do from – you know, when we walk into a room to interfacing with phones, to our television, to our appliances, to our cars, to our – it's going to be so enmeshed in our lives, we won't even think of it as a separate thing. And that's what he means by the internet being over. It's like it's not this separate place that you go. 
it's just this it's thing just that happens. It's I like air, right? It's just I completely agree with that. I mean, I mean, yeah. the fact is, you know, when you you talked me into getting the the next iPhone so I could use Apple Pay because I wanted to try it because I saw you <laughs> it's had cool, it. isn't it? And isn't it and awesome? the fact that how that works, where you just get the, you know, you just oh. take the iPhone and put it close to the device, and it just it's all ready to go. You don't have to do anything. So, it's, it's and you get the little notifications every time your credit card is charged. You get the little ding. So you actually see, like when you give your credit card to a waiter and all of a sudden, you know, you just sit there and watch your phone and, you know, three minutes later you see, bing, the charge come up and you can see if they overcharged you or didn't. You know, it's just, it's, it's, I love it. Well, I love Apple Pay. It's, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> we're getting off on a tangent as yeah. we usually do, but <laughs> right. I listened to the Nerdist podcast of Bill Gates the other day, which was, it was, so Bill Gates was on for about 40 minutes talking about the foundation. But he was also just talking about the changes that are happening in technology, specifically in African countries. And he said they were talking about the fact that here's a barter. The, you know, Basically, this barter relationship is how people had been living for decades and decades, maybe hundreds of years. They would trade things. And then all of a sudden, now you have mobile uh, processing over there. They're getting access to smartphones and they can pay you know actually money that they've never had before right. and this right. idea of the the banking system and bill gates was saying yeah they used to pay when they did actually have money they used to be charged you know 15% 20% on every transaction because that was the inefficiency of the system he said now they're getting 2% that's a game changer it's oh, just it's, it's it's huge i mean wait till you one of the things that i think i mean without getting political at all you know, remember a few years ago, maybe it was five or six or seven years ago, when they talked about how countries like Israel and some countries in South America sort of skipped over the whole landline thing, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And and they basically went right to sell. So their cellular networks are so much more advanced than you know than many because they sort of skipped over the whole having to build an infrastructure of copper in the country, and they went right to cellular and satellite technology, and. I think when you see what's going on with Cuba right now and when Internet and cellular and the way to pay and all those things comes to – I think that economy is just going to go on a skyrocket. I think it's 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 really going to be interesting to see because they can skip over all this stuff that we didn't – you know that we had to build out, and they can go right to where we are now. It's 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 going to be fascinating. The, this This stopped being a content marketing show. 10 minutes ago <laughs> right <laughs> but anyway well, it's, it's i think it's fascinating too so. well okay so speaking of global and sponsors we have the delightful delightful sponsor that sponsors our show oh it's one again uh special thanks to our friends at acrolinks this old marketing this week is sponsored. see how we segued global into that <laughs> sponsored by acrylics the <laughs> acrylics platform helps the world's most recognized brands create content that is more engaging more readable and even more enjoyable. Most people don't even know software like this exists, and you and I can testi- testify to that, Robert, because when we talk about it, they're like, no. And we say, really, it is. And they have a new, <laughs> they have a, <laughs> just like ice cream, right? It's just, yeah. it's just one, it's just a great surprise. It's new, yeah. it's their new ebook, uh, Speak with One Voice, answers critical questions about how you can make your content stand out and how to create a unique advantage in the content economy. And I have to say, if you've been listening to this program and you haven't downloaded this yet, shame on you. You need to do Absolutely. this. Speak with one Go voice. Go get it. Go get it. It's And it's a really nice design, by the way, as well. It's pleasing to the eye. You can register for it at bit.ly.com slash PNR dash Acrolinks 2. That's Acrolinks with an X, the number two. Uh, it's a great piece of content. Of course, we wouldn't be supporting it if it, if it was not. Uh, get it... Uh, easy as you can if you don't want to listen to what we're saying about the short link just go to any of the show notes for the past four episodes and download it when you can it's just a wonderful piece of content i mean and it's not you know look we talk about how it's global but it's it's there's value for it even if you're not doing a global strategy you know figuring out how to how to sort of scale a content marketing process and really have the brand speak with one voice it's it's just an important thing and Getting tone right, getting, you know, all of the stuff that we talk about here is just... Well, it's, it's so critical. I mean, you and I were yeah. planning. We've got Intelligent Content Conference coming up. Uh, you know, we've, obviously, we're going to Sydney mid-March. Yeah. Then we've got Singapore. Then you and I are headed to Intelligent Content Conference. And this is really hits into that area of how do we really think more strategically about our content? How do we, uh, if we've got to take 
plan from the start and how that content's going to be more efficient, more scalable. How do we leverage technology in that process? This hits right at home with what we're going to be talking about in San Francisco. Absolutely, it does. All right. Well, thank you to the folks at Acrolinks for that. All right, folks, it is now time for the show that you love so much, our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is giving us inflation of our footballs, as it were. Um, and I'm going first, actually, because I have this old marketing uh, this week. Yeah, so um, I have a, a, a mini rant um, this week. It's been a little while since I've gone You've never a done rant. a mini rant. A mini rant. I'm mean, well, very I, you interested know, I'm not in this. like I'm not like really angry about this, but but it's it was something that caught my eye that I just uh, it, it 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 sort of it was it's kind it, of deflating. And it's not the article, right? It's not the article here. So to be clear, this comes from Digiday, the article that will be in the show notes here, and it talks. And the headline of the article is "Native Ad Publishers Are Hacking Their CMS," and it basically talks through. How I mean, it opens up with I, I don't love the opening sentence where it says, you know, the biggest buzzwords today are native advertising and content management system. <laughs> it feels a little forced to me, but all right. Content management system, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, right. You know, 1999 yes. once its term back. Um, and, you know, so we talked about this before, but the, the, the article goes through how some of these publishers like Huffington Post and BuzzFeed are having to hack their CMS system because, quite frankly, the content for native advertising that they're trying to serve isn't served or cannot be served in the same way that a contextual ad is served. And so what they're doing, and the article goes through great length to talk about how some of these publishing companies are doing this, how they're actually starting to treat their CMS and the way that it treats content like an ad server. Um, and it talks specifically through the Huffington Post and others that are that are trying to do this. And it, and one of the ones that's quoted, um, or one of the people that are quoted, are, are Todd Sawicki, this, who's the CEO of Zamanta, great firm who does, you know, they they back this their business. They do content ads um, and amplify it across social networks. So in a weird way, they're kind of like you know what we used to call yesterday's ad server, and they are amplifying content across networks. And the quote that he says is, he says that the content server needs to serve ads in the same way that ad server did. For example, if a piece of sponsored content you'd like surrounding that content to be, you want it to be relevant. Servers don't necessarily do a good job of that. What they do is a good job of frequency capping and all the things that matter in ad campaigns. But a CMS doesn't do any of that. And as he says, we're all sort of dancing around waiting for the tech to get better. Now, I've talked about this before in a sort of, you know, sort of lack of innovation in the web content management, especially in the enterprise web content management space. But I just have two points here. One is, Native content in its long form is not an ad. I mean, it's just not. It's just not an ad. Native content in its long form. Now, I'm not talking about sponsored posts on Twitter or Facebook. I'm talking about sponsored posts in a blog post or or an article in a print magazine or a video or an infographic. It's not an ad. And so treating it like an ad to be served contextually is not going to help. Plus, there's a difference between the amount of different content served up in a platform that utilizes a true ad network, right, like Facebook or Twitter or even arguably something like the Huffington Post. And there's a big difference between that and the ads that are served up somebody like Content Marketing Institute or Sports Illustrated or even something like the Wall Street Journal. It's a very specific focused audience going back to what we just talked about 10 minutes ago. So if I'm a marketer, if I'm an advertiser, if I'm a content marketer and I'm trying to create something – that's going to be automatically contextualized in your newspaper. I don't want it to necessarily appear so contextual that it's going to hide. In other words, and if I'm a publisher, I don't want that long form piece of content to get contextually placed into the site because quite frankly, I'm going to have this place segregate. I mean, isn't this what the whole argument is about with the whole ethics and journalism anyway? I need to separate it out into its own place, you know, whether I call it brand voice. That's the whole thing, right? So, it, I would argue that CMSs don't need to act more like ad servers in quite the other way around, if anything else. Ad servers need to act more like content management systems and serve up contextually, you know, using the entire corpus of content for relationships, et cetera, et cetera. But that brings me to my second point, which is when he says they're waiting for the tech to get better, this I could not agree more with, which is I keep waiting for WCMS solutions, which is the web content management solution, to address holistically the ideas of content marketing and content that are driven around a process, not some governance workflow thing. You know, it's like today, 
that I see this over and over again. Every single time I go into an organization these days, big companies especially, the first thing they tell me is the limitation of their existing CMS. Name any vendor out there, and they're talking about the limitations because it's all about governance and digital asset management and all this stuff, and they can't do things like enable a freelancer network or enable outside people to author or to get teams of authors to collaborate on stuff. And so it's like I don't understand You know, many of these CMS uh, are going to have to evolve because, quite frankly, everybody that's out there are technologies now that are starting to fill this gap. And the CMS industry is just not filling it fast enough. And, I, you know, the CMS industry continually wonders why it's not seen as innovative, and yet there's no innovation happening there on content. And that's my end of my rant. So do you think that then the big CMS companies will just start buying some of these smaller players that are filling the gaps? I do. I don't, you know, other than a couple of small things that I've seen take place, you know, so Oracle buying uh, uh, Compendium was one. Um, but that was really just for a content management light system, really more than anything else. But get IBM gotta, buying Silver Yeah, Pop. I've got to think, you know, look, I, I mean, I don't think you'd get any argument that the calendaring systems, the, you know, the, the the skywards the new the composts the contentlies are out there they're going to get bought by somebody but from a collaboration standpoint i would hope to see some of these you know because not all of them not all of these web content management systems can acquire somebody some of them are going to have to innovate on their own it's it it's fascinating yeah i'm I'm, i mean you know that space better than anyone so i mean i'll just I'll just take your word for it that you're right. <laughs> right. You're well, right again, Mr. Rose. It's a rant. It's it's a rant. So I don't know how right I am, but I, but it it's it, it's annoying nonetheless. I, so I, <laughs> I the, the the most annoying thing for me is that in some of these articles that you see that uh, when brands create content, they call it advertising. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, whoa! Like, I don't, I can't disagree with that anymore. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Now, mine yeah. very just really quickly. Um, as, as you know, I'm planning the agenda for Content Marketing World, as I seem to be doing 12 months a year. <laughs> and I always look, you know, I'm just always looking at, at new speakers and whatever. And for some reason, I got caught on a John uh, Favreau uh, interview. He's being interviewed on the Ke- Kevin Pollack show. Kevin Pollack does a regular show on YouTube, and I think it's on Hulu and a couple other places. So we'll link this in the show notes. Now, as you, as you realize, this is a two-hour interview. So... Don't go into it too much, but I did want to share a couple. It's insight. long. Yeah, it's very long. But first of all, John Favreau is a fascinating character. There's a couple of things that I wanted to pull out of this that I think are so crucial for, for content marketers. The first thing he was talking about as he moved from really small, low-budget pictures to the, you know, the Iron Man's $100 million plus, he basically went through the traction of, look, you have to start very small. You've got to, you know, if you're going to practice and fail, you don't do it with a hundred million dollar budget. You do it very, and I think that I love that from a content marketer standpoint, because I think we need to be more agile. And I don't think a lot of the companies they are out there and we've, you and I've talked to them. They think, Oh, we need more budget. We need this and that. I disagree with that in a lot of cases. I think you can be agile. You can tell great stories and you don't have to break the bank to do that, especially when you're testing it at first. So I thought that that was an interesting take. And just the, the other thing just about John Favreau, it lines up really interesting with, did you happen to see Jason Miller's article on Content Marketing Institute last week where he talked about the hybrid marketer? Did you see him? I did. I did. It was really good. It's, so, worth, it's definitely worth a read. Yeah so, yeah, so if you get a chance, and we'll put that in the show notes as well, You know, Jason's talking about how today's marketer basically is you're doing a lot of different things. It's not just, you know, and it, it, it kind of holds when you ask the question, uh, in all the, the workshops and master classes you do, you always say, well, where'd everybody come from? How many of you actually are marketers? And very few people are marketers. They're, they're, you know, some of them are artists. Some of them are you know, liberal studies majors. Some of them are engineers. They're coming from all over the place. And I think John Favreau is a good example of the you know, actor, writer, director, producer, little bit of, of everything. And I think we're see, you know, we saw that with Kevin Spacey last year when he talked to Content Marketing World. Um, it's just amazing to see how us as marketers, specifically as content marketers, we need to know a little bit about everything. And then the what was that? We had the conversation a couple of weeks ago about uh, the the what was the technology guy that came out with that had the eight nine hundred different tech, technology Scott Brinker Scott Brinker yeah, Scott Brinker twenty two hundred twenty two hundred yeah. whatever yeah, it is it's right. a lot. 
but it's the fact that the whole role of that marketing technologist where we have to understand technology and where that plays in and we have to understand the processes that are going into it. We don't necessarily have to do it. We have to understand its role in the process. So I just thought it was fascinating. If you have two hours to kill, <laughs> it's a great interview. I highly recommend it. I think it's very relevant for any storyteller, especially uh, John Favreau. And, and by the way, just side note, uh, Sh- Chef, have you seen that movie, Chef? Uh, I, I have not seen Fantastic it. Fantastic movie. It's, it's John I've Favreau's really latest good. movie. It's basically it's really he gets kicked out of a uh, restaurant and he goes – and uh, starts a food truck, and his son helps him. And there's actually a lot of social media in that because that's how they uh, that's how they got a um, business in the food truck. But it's fascinating. I love what John Favreau is doing, and I think we can learn a lot from him. So there you go. Oh, fantastic! Well, now now you now you've made me want to go watch it all two hours of it. Um, you can watch it on to... two times speed, like you can do on uh, iTunes. But podcast. Oh, that would be weird. That's, <laughs> that's just really fast. You get through it in an hour, though. <laughs> that just seems odd. Yeah. All right. Well, now it is time for the namesake of the show, our This Old Marketing uh, example for the week. And this comes to us, this was inspired, um, and first of all, a hat tip uh, to Sarah, uh, you know who you are, uh, out there for sending this on. Um, And it comes to us from eConsultancy, the link anyway comes, and this is what we'll put in the show notes. And it's about Jaeger, the British men's fashion, well, men and women's fashion um, company. And I know them because I'm I really like British fashion designers, and it's it's how I like to dress. and And Jaeger is a, 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 a one of the brands that I really like, and so I was really uh, attracted to this article when I saw it because I've actually watched a little bit of this, and and quite frankly, didn't even put two and two together until Sarah had sent over this uh, article for us to, to to review. And it basically talks about the 130 year old heritage of Jaeger. Um, and the interesting thing to me is is that. It really ties in something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, the history of the company, by the way, it goes all the way back to 1884 when it was called Dr. Jaeger's Sanitary Woolen System Company, um, and where they were basically, interestingly, and I didn't know this until I started to do a little research, they were picking up on a craze at the time in the late 1800s for animal uh, types of wear as opposed to cotton. So cotton was really, really popular, of course, and there was this craze for animal, basically, thread. So, of course, wool, right? And so wool jersey long johns became very, very popular um, based on some of the theories of this German scientist, Dr. Gustav Jaeger, and that was the beginning of the company. It's really interesting. And so some of the most famous people in the world started to wear his clothes, right? So George Bernard Shaw, and then most famously, explorers to really cold climates, uh, including Ernest Shackleton um, and all of that. So now, cut to today, um, and for the last, call it five, six, seven years, Jaeger's been trying to rebrand itself. And and from 2008, where they sort of reintroduced their clothing line as a new fashion, forward-leaning fashion brand, they've been trying to rebrand themselves as sort of this idea that it's trying for now. And what they're doing, and what I think is so cool, is that they're infusing these great authentic heritage stories. And if you remember, Joe, we were last week we were talking, or two weeks ago we were talking about sort of the difference of heritage and authenticity in advertising versus sort of the content storytelling, content marketing piece. Sure. And this is what I love that Jaeger is doing so, uh, so wonderfully, is they're infusing, for example, they have this four-minute documentary on these classic British models and fashion experts just talking about what is British fashion. And they go on for four and a half minutes in this really cool shot video talking about not Jaeger and not specific clothes, but what does it mean for British fashion? You know, what is, you know, is it rock and roll? Is it the Beatles? Is it, and they, they talk about that. In another one, they actually have this uh, documentary, this seven minute documentary on Gostwick wool. So Gostwick wool is this, uh, some of the finest wool in the world that comes from Australia. And they did a documentary piece on uh, the of day in the life of the farm at Gostwick Farms and how the sheep get you know uh, shorn and and they how they pull the wool off and the process for the processing of it and and they just infuse this they infuse it into the e-commerce experience they infuse it into their advertising but it's not just like hey here's a section of our website and how cool and awesome and authentic we are or hey here's this cool nostalgic ad from 1936 they actually create separate storytelling efforts to go do this 
but it's infused really nicely into the entirety of the customer experience. And I just, I just loved it because this is all a part of how this new effort for the last, you know, almost half a decade now of them rebranding themselves and remarketing themselves with this heritage infused in it so that it doesn't become that they're an old brand, but they're a new brand that sort of pays attention to the old ways. And I just think it's a great example of this old market. You might have to insert that into your masterclass presentations. You... It's a good one. Yeah, yeah a it's a really one. good one. All right, my friend. So, uh, so what's, uh, what are you up to for the next week here? What's going I on? am going up on Thursday to uh, run a story mapping exercise for our good friends at SAP. Um, and I'm just so excited about that, working with those good folks um, that have run the, uh, their, their customer edge blog and, and uh, talking to them about their 2015 strategy. And it's a whole story mapping facilitated day. It's going to be really, really fun. And then I'm home for another week, and then I, <laughs> then I hit the road in a big, bad way in early February. I have a uh, Columbus American Marketing Association uh, oh, dinner nice. that I'm speaking at this week, which is, which is nice. good. And, uh, and uh, I was going to ask you before we signed off, do you have a, a Super Bowl prediction? Yeah, I kind of do. I, I, you know, I don't know if this is just, I don't, I, you know, I don't really care. Um, but I think it's, I think it's, I, I got to go with the Seahawks 24 20. I, um, you know, it depends for, on how healthy the, the, the defense is. I, I think, think the, I think that Sherman's hurt. I think that, yeah, I think he is too. And, and it depends on how, how much he's really hurt. I think that, well, I mean, not, if, if New England's bringing in their own, uh, their own footballs. I, I'm going to give the edge to them 51 to three, 51 to three. If they're bringing in their own footballs. Yeah, yeah okay. man. All right. Have you seen what those things could do? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think New England's going to win. I really do. I think that uh, Tom Brady doesn't like to lose two Super Bowls in a row. So, yeah, well, he's going to be, he's going to be on fire and he's going to be mad. You know, he's going to be all mad about this thing anyway. Oh yeah. He's like, they, and then with Belichick throwing him under the bus and all that stuff. Oh I mean, my God. Come yeah. on. I mean, this yeah. is crazy. So. Did you see the Saturday night live thing? I saw, <laughs> yeah, saw a little was, bit of it. It was pretty It's good. like, Hey, you it like my good. retro hat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, you need me on that field. Yeah, exactly. You want me on that field. All right, folks, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, thank you so much. Uh, for tweeting us up at hashtag this old marketing, sending in the story ideas. We truly, truly, truly do love it. It's so helpful for us. Um, and you know, if you want to send an email too, you can always send an email uh, to this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. Hit the show notes. If you like this episode, number 63, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. Everything we talk about will be available on the show notes at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week where we're going to hear Joe say, that pressure is too damn high. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.